The foundation is in memory of Lieutenant Joseph P. DiBenotto. Um, Joey was my best friend, and he was one of the people that just pushed me forward and made me want to be a New York City firefighter. The purpose of the foundation is to provide every firefighter in America who can't afford his own personal safety system, will buy it for them. It's, it's extremely important to, to give back and remember the legacy of Joey. Um, he, he lost his life and he's not forgotten. We're gonna remember him forever. And we're gonna do that through supporting the, uh, the foundation and all the training that it does. The foundation tries to raise money through donations and also the seminar. The seminar is our big uh, fundraiser for the year. Um, we have uh, almost 300 firefighters here today uh, training at the Suffolk County Fire Academy. So incredibly grateful to be here this weekend at the Joey DiBernardo Training Weekend. Uh, the Memorial Fund has been incredible over the years uh, of what they've been doing in Joey D's legacy uh, is, is mission driven and paying it forward. It's firefighter protection. And the incredible thing about that is that it's done through a training weekend. Um, bringing you know, all these instructors together and firefighters that come in from all over the country to be a part of this weekend really is all about sharing in the legacy of Joey DiBernardo. Well, the main thing about the foundation is we get to pay homage to our friend, brother, firefighter, and instructor, Joey D. And it's just top-notch instructors from all around the country coming in and are offering their sense of street smarts to firefighters from also all around the country. Uh, you, you have everybody volunteering their time, which is great. And again, we want to pay homage to our friend and our brother, Joey, and we teach from the heart. That's the best. There's all kinds of training. There's training on uh, search. There's training on rescue. There's training on um, hose handling. There's training on moving a down fireman. I saw some training being done on giving a down fireman CPR, which I thought was unbelievable. What a, what a great idea. Something I never saw in my career and I think this is a great idea. There are so many different evolutions going on here and there's so much going on. It's a great, great seminar. 100% of the proceeds are donated back to fire departments in need. And then the training level that they present is just untouchable. The training that goes on today will save someone's life. With, with the foundation giving the PSSs to all the fire departments and all the grants and all the good work that they've done, they're saving lives, directly and indirectly. And everybody that's gone through this training uh, over the past couple days, that's being filtered back to their firehouses and to their fire departments. And it's our hope that they continue to save lives, indirectly or, or directly. We're pushing guys to the limit with what I feel is like some of the best instructors in the country. So you have the whole world encompassed in this. It's a great great, great training venue. They're giving back to try to save life. So we, we don't lose anyone else like we, we lost on Black Sunday. So right now, Joey's probably saying, so even though I'm not here, I'm still saving lives. That's what he'd say. Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome to the Sunday Gospel. This is Rob, National Fire Radio. I am joined today by the legendary Andy uh, Sakadato. Now I'm going to, Andy, I'm going to screw up your name. I, I was practicing this in the break and now I'm just got it. Andy, introduce yourself for us because it's going to be. Andy Sakadato with the Water Thieves. Thanks for Thanks. having me. Not, not a problem, man. So, Andy, you're with the Water Thieves. Um, like, kind of tell, tell us a little bit about 
who you are and and then we'll jump into the water thieves here in a minute so you're where where are you at in the country so i live in murfreesboro tennessee okay. uh, my full-time job is working with the uh, state of tennessee fire academy and i oversee the pump and aerial programs there for the state fire academy um, i grew up in a town called chatham new jersey and volunteered there for about six years and then got picked up with the Charlottesville, Virginia Fire Department in 2011 and uh, worked there for nine years as, a, as an engine and truck operator. Awesome. And then how, so from there you end up going to, like, is there an open position or how, how did you get to Tennessee? Yeah, so the Fire Academy had a, an open instructor's position and um, some events lined up in my life where it was it was a smart move and um, I applied for it and, and I got it. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. And then the Water Thieves just came about, kind of like, I've seen the social media posts and then I got to meet with you this past summer at Revolutionary Fire Tests at the Lake when you were doing the big water class. Um, but kind of like, where's the what, what, what's the story behind the water thieves? Like, how yeah, so, so I, um, I've always been interested in the water supply side of, of the fire service and, and operating equipment and engines and trucks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, while, while I was working in Charlottesville, I had the opportunity to, to join the Albemarle County uh, Fire Training Division, teaching their pump uh, classes. And what I noticed uh, while I was teaching with them, there was a lot of, uh, not, not because of them, but there was a lot of misinformation being uh, sent out in the, in the fire service with regards to water supply. And really the uh the water thieves was born out of people reaching out to me saying hey will you come teach pump class for for our you know volunteer fire department and i said yeah sure i mean if you want to listen to me talk about the the nerdy stuff i'd be more than willing to come out and and teach and then um just kind of turned it into a business so that way i wouldn't get screwed over at tax time and here we are so um, yeah how many do you do you have an idea of how many firefighters that you've taught Oh, uh, I, I don't know. It's, we started, uh, um, uh, I started the business unofficially officially in 2017. So I don't know, uh, upwards of 200 probably. Well, I think that's, yeah. I mean, he definitely at least had a hundred. Being at, a little uh, conservative. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think you're gonna have to pump those numbers up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll take 200 right now. Um, you're, not only uh, teaching for in, in Tennessee, you're also I've taught at FDIC. You're going back to FDIC this year with your yes, advanced drafting operations class. Um, you've taught at Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the Lake, going back there again this year. Yes, um, sir. In February, you have the Virginia Fire Rescue Conference coming up. Yes, sir. Um, and then, you know, uh, Central Illinois, uh, Illinois Fire School in May. In May, yes. Yes, sir. So you're a busy guy. There's a lot of water that's moving and you're moving with it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot going on. <laughs> and I think too, one of the things that we, we shot some content on was the trailer and all the, uh, you know, just the, the massive amount of equipment that you bring to these classes to make sure that things can go as smoothly as, as possible. I mean, you had trailer, you had Mercedes Megaflow who was in there. You had float docks from task force tips. I mean, every kind of, 
appliance that I think could possibly used in water operations. It's stuff that I didn't even know what the hell it was for. Uh, plus, associated monitors, blitz fires, uh, you know, di different rams, etc., like different devices for that water to go somewhere once you're get it moving. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the big things, right? Like, you know, I, I really want to hit home that the stuff that we're doing, it's nothing new, right? People have been doing this for, for years um, mm -hmm. and, and we're not, we're not showing anybody anything different that uh, hasn't already been taught in the fire service. Um, what, what I, what I have come across and I feel with regards to water supply in the fire service is one, a lot of people don't think that it is a, a sexy topic. So, um, you know, I will get water supply when we get it. It is what it is, right? Like everybody wants to focus on, you know, stretching that first line, making the grab, BS, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and water supply kind of goes on the back burner. And what I've noticed is that, that people don't think water supply is cool until they're doing crazy stuff and flowing all kinds of water and, and, and then it becomes cool. Right. Um, so what we really, really try and bring home and show in our classes is that most of the time, you know, once folks get the mindset of, you know, setting up for big water and functionally setting up for big water, the only hindrance to doing that is really the equipment that folks carry. And a lot of people just don't know about the equipment that is out there to, to kind of do some of the stuff that we're doing. So um, we hammer home really early that we're not salesmen. We don't sell the equipment. We're not making a profit off the equipment, right? We're just simply bringing a trailer full of hose, hard sleeve, you know, manifolds, appliances to show people like if you have the right equipment, really the possibilities are endless. And um, that that's really what we focus on um, and why we're somewhat limited in our travel reach, right? Um, right. Because we got we to gotta haul all that stuff all over the place. And you have I don't I don't know if um, sponsors is the word, but like great industry industry uh, partnerships. Yeah, uh, right down the time there, I might be having a TIA. Um, but no, you have great uh, partnerships so like Task Force Tips. We sent do. Yeah, massive amount of these appliances out to uh, Missouri, so you could have, you know we could have a successful class out of Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the lake. So yeah, so we have we have three three partnerships um, that that we've fostered over the years. Um, Task Force Tips is one of our, our biggest uh, supporters. Um, they support us through and through in everything we do. Mm -hmm. uh, Mercedes Hose has been a, a huge supporter as well. And uh, the Fire Store has been a huge supporter of us as well. So uh, we're, we're, we're very proud and happy to have those partnerships uh, established and yeah. fostering those. Yeah. And, you know, it's something simple like I when because I, I I get this really unique ability with national fire radio to travel around the country, meet, you know, smart people like you, uh, you know, and then like, and sit there and watch. But like, there was some things that even at the lake, I was kind of just uh, like, I, you know, I had that light bulb moment where I was like, where is this? I was today years old when I found out that this existed, but something as simple as those elbows coming off for the hard suction and, you know, like watching the difference between the two and not, like maybe I saw it in a trade magazine, but actually seeing it in person and how much of a difference it was making. And I'm somebody who like, I'm not an expert by any means. I know just enough to be considered very, very dangerous. Um, but like for drafting, like having to do drafting operations, like I was like, where, where is this in my 
Square Engine. I, I, this is something we need in our engine company, like especially if we're we're going to be doing this, especially since we're only limited to two lengths of hard suction. Like this would would be a game changer. Game changer, and yeah. So yeah, it's I mean, it's just simple things. So you come around the country teaching, you travel around the country teaching big water operations, and you talked about it how people um, don't think it's really a sexy topic. You know, they want to stretch the first line. And in my reverse thinking of like being an officer, I love when a pump operator is on point with their water supply game because we like to start our incidents off with the thought process that we're going to put this out. But there's been those times where I'm like, if this goes to hell in a handbasket, how are we going to, how are we going to find this solution? And I've had some good pump operators over the years. Uh, Roger Whitman, retired guy from the city of Poughkeepsie, get water out of a stone kind of thing. My old senior man, Craig Elderkin, um, knew, knew our water system very, very well at where we worked at Fairview. And I think that that is such a huge thing. Two of my guys, uh, Joe Tompkins and Jake Lawler, sat through your class when we were out there and they, they brought back knowledge. Um, I, we can't like emphasize how clutch that position is when you're the chauffeur, the uh, driver, et cetera, of doing this. What are some of the things that you think are, are relatively, I don't want to say they're, they're basic, but like what, if you had like some examples of what people uh, miss out on that would, you know, make them the next level pump operator, their basic things, do you, do you know, like have, you know, a couple of tidbits or tricks and hacks to that? Yeah. So um, <laughs> the, and this is going to sound terrible, but the biggest reason, in my opinion, that water supply systems fail and we get to those fires where folks say, oh, we water supply was a problem. We didn't have enough water. It always has to do. And I feel like I can always trace it back to there may have been a degree of laziness um, with regards to the water supply because LDH is heavy and people don't want to pick up hose. But if you really want to take your water supply level to the next or water supply gain to the next level, it's all about increasing size and area. And you do that by using multiple supply lines. You do that by double and triple tapping a fire hydrant. You do that by putting multiple hard sleeves into the water to draft big water. So, you know, if, if one is good, two is better type of thing. Um, and that's, that's the biggest and best way to, to do that in my opinion. And um, for those of us that, you know, come from the East Coast, for the hydrant side of things, we have to remember that the biggest, best thing to be doing at the beginning of a water supply operation with a hydrant is throw that damn gate valve on the sideboard, at least one of them, because you may not need it initially. And a lot of times the fires we go to, we probably don't need it. But like you're saying, Rob, you know, it sets you up if we do go and transition from something where we're making a push and now we have to transition to a defensive fire, we have the ability to supplement and give more volume to, to the system. Right? And, you know, that's one thing where um, when the guys came back from the class, we were talking about some low, uh, low pressure, low volume hydrants, you know, so for us, there's stuff that's got an orange band on it. And Jake was dressing, fully dressing out the hydrant. And he had put the storage connection on the one side of the gate and the guys were like, yeah, but that won't work. And he started going like, and simple things like that, because just because it has a, you know, essentially a two and a half inch thread doesn't mean you have to go with a host to two and a half. Inch Correct. Thread. Amen. Amen. And, and I, that was like one of those, those light bulb moments where I was like, wow, we're really like, you really can maximize more office hydrant than just that, you know, 
that steamer connection. Like you can even, I mean, if you're, if you've taken your own hydrant, you're so you're in a 50 foot length of a, you know, as I like to say, a 50 foot length of a, the rig, how much more, like you can get much more capacity just even off a single three inch line coming into an auxiliary intake on, on the engine and boost you what, what you're taking in. Absolutely. Not... Absolutely. And, and really, right. Um, what, what I always like to say for in my ideal world, right. The, the connections that I'm making from the fire hydrant to the pumper are in my ideal world, they're either going to be five inch hose or six inch hose, regardless of whatever ports that we have on the hydrant, whether it's a four and a half inch steamer mm -hmm. or two and a half inch outlets. Um, by increasing that area, it dramatically reduces the friction loss. And when we use multiple ports, we're splitting that water multiple ways, which drops it even more, which means we have higher residual intake pressures on our pumper, which ultimately means more of the hydrant's capacity can get into the truck. And, and one of the things that we've worked with, actually TFT, they've developed for me um, hydrant uh, gate valves, uh, their, their slow co closed ball valves but with an inline pressure gauge on the inlet side of the valve. So that way we can put that valve assembly on the hydrant. And whenever the hydrant's on, we have a reading, a pressure reading on the hydrant. And we use it in the teaching environment really to show people that, hey, yeah, I know your pumper's intake is showing 20 or 10 and people freak out. But if depending on the hydrant that you're hooked to, you go over to the hydrant and we're sitting at 40 pounds on the hydrant. And there's this discussion of, well, where, you know, that whole 20 PSI rule and, and, you know, we're going to damage yeah. stuff. And really what people need to understand is it's not 20 PSI at the pump, it's 20 PSI in the main, right? So that's what we want to be concerned about, because if we drop it below 20 PSI in the main, that's when we get backflow and potential for contamination. And if we're dealing with our old New England cities, right, potential for collapses, all that good right. stuff, right? So... What we really want to hammer on is that from the fire hydrant to the pumper, there is loss in the hose, in the fire hydrant, in the intakes, in the plumbing of the truck. So your intake gauge on the pumper, right, it, it, it is not the be all end all. That can be low at five or 10 on a large water supply operation when the pumper's on the hydrant, right? As long as the fire hydrant or what's in the main, more, more importantly, isn't below 20, then we're good. That's that's really what we we try and hammer home. And and that's when you talk about that light bulb moment, we see a lot of that light bulb come on, uh, uh, go yeah. off when we show that. Um, there's a, also like so we, we have a hydrant, but there's a, the drafting side of the house as yeah. well. And I know like, you know, one of the things we were trying to get here was a. Uh, and, and, the, and, you know, unfortunately for me, the video wouldn't load up. So I'm really frustrated by that. <laughs> but uh the like you did a turbo draft and this is the first time that i've seen the turbo draft work and uh david woodward and i both had a conversation about how we like i think dave had the product in in, in lake of the ozarks and he sent it back because they couldn't get it to work and mm -hmm. then uh we we messed around with one at work and we were just unable to figure it out and then we kind of listened to your spiel on this and it, i was like we were like wow like we just and I don't want to cast a really serious stone here, but this was a product that was sold by a salesman who wasn't a firefighter and didn't understand the application of it. So it was kind of like, here you go, figure it out. And we just thought it didn't work, but like, here we are at, at the lake. And I mean, that was a, it, for those who are listening to this, the lift was like, I think it was like, what, it's six close stories? To 20, 25 foot, 30 foot a lift. Yeah, it was, it was not, it was, it was, it was pretty like impressive. Stories. 
um, you know, up an embankment, like, and then you had two of them going. And how would you, what was the end flow rate that we ended so up So in that scenario, um, we were able to flow uh, between five and 700 gallons a minute off those two turbo drafts. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, right, the, the key for those folks that go and look back at your video that you have or look on our social media page at that setup, it's really important to remember that we had an extremely challenging setup in that environment. Yes. We were going over, you know, a really high lift, something that realistically, and that's the key with the turbo draft. The key with the turbo draft is it's not the answer to big water in the rural environment. It's the answer to getting access to water that you otherwise were going to write off, right? Like I can't mm-hmm. use this and we have to go figure something else out. It gives you the ability to reach that water. And, and in that uh, scenario, that's what we were really showing folks. That's what we were trying to show folks. Like this is about as difficult as it comes, right? We right. had people, you know, we had other people going down the embankment because of the rocks and everything like this is tough and look what we're be, what we're able to flow. Right. Um, and yeah, it's it's unfortunate because the turbo draft is a great tool. I love the turbo draft. I love using the turbo draft. Um, but unfortunately, it is a it's it's a product that is misunderstood. Um, there are some a hundred percent rules that you have to follow with regards to the turbo draft. And and for a detailed list of those, I have I actually have an an article coming out in um, fire apparatus and emergency equipment in uh, March that lists basic turbo draft operations and another one in April coming out that uh, has more advanced turbo draft operations and stuff that we did in the, at the lake will be highlighted there. So um, yeah, there are some tenants to turbo draft that we have to follow to make sure that the operation even works. And uh, nine times out of 10, right. When people tell me that the turbo draft, they have a problem with the turbo draft. um, My usual questions are, what was the pressure that you were pumping it at? Because if you're not pumping it at 175 to 225, it ain't going to work. What was the supply line that you were using coming back from the turbo draft? And if people say that is anything less than five inches, it's not going to work. So those are the two big ones, right? Pump it at the right pressure and make sure you use big supply line. Five inch, nothing nothing smaller than five inch hose with the turbo draft. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it was, and, and I think that, you know, you said this is not your first go-to, but this is using no. a water source that would have otherwise been written off. And I think that's one thing for, especially, I mean, it doesn't really matter where you are in the country. Nowadays, we can Google a house fire and we can see a body of water, but we can't get to it. So when we start looking at, you know, what we need for that operation, if one of these rigs coming in can get, you know, a hundred feet into you know, essentially through a thick woods that we wouldn't otherwise be able to get to, why not, why not utilize that source? And I would assume that without having that 25 to 30 foot lift that we were overcoming that day um, at the marina, your numbers are just going to go up as far yeah, as. Like, so, so what we tell people is the, the last tenant I should say with my turbo draft operations is in the conventional configuration. Um, we never really want to go more than a hundred foot from the source mm-hmm. with five inch hose. So a single turbo draft level ground uh, with a hundred foot, you can expect about 550 gallons per minute um, horizontally. If I shorten that up to 50 foot, like we were doing at the lake that day, minus mm-hmm. the lift, if we're on level ground, we're looking at a single turbo draft, giving me a solid 700 gallons a minute. I can expect. And, um, oh, sorry. It's good. No, 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 you're good. You're good. So. No. The fastest way in that configuration, right, if I have one in service and I need more water, because usually what I tell people is my goal 
when I'm trying to get water from a static source, um, I, in my mind, I'm assuming that, well, if I'm probably operating from the static source, I'm probably the engine filling tankers. Because in my uh, uh, career, I was never lucky enough to have static sources right next to the house that was on fire. So right. usually the static source is going to be the one that I'm using to fill the tankers, right? So my goal is always to try and uh, get at least a thousand gallons a minute out of my source. So that way I cut down on the time it takes for those tankers to get filled and rock on. So if my turbo draft's only giving me 700 gallons a minute, what I tell people the easiest, fastest, simplest way to increase that flow is if one turbo draft can give you 700 gallons a minute, the setup to put a second turbo draft in service is identical. So put a second one in service and now you're exceeding your thousand gallon per minute flow rate and you have a little right. bit of a buffer zone. 100%. And the other thing, too, I wanted to say, and, and just because it's a, we're on this rabbit hole of the turbo draft, <laughs> um, the the engine is going to sound like it's running off its wheels. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, yeah. It's okay because it was designed to do that. Well, and, so here's, here's the thing that, um, you know, and when we come into spec and layout with pumpers, this is where it's really, really, really important for fire departments because a lot of times – Right. It's not going to be your urban departments that are using the turbo draft. Obviously, it's going to be mm -hmm. your rural fire departments, which obviously tend to uh, tend to have more monetary constraints when they're building trucks. But this is one reason if you're in a area where you know that you have access issues, this is a, an argument to uh, go ahead and, and spec and push for a larger horsepower motor. Um, the, the truck that we were using at the Ozarks, um, if my memory serves me right, it was either a 1250 or 1500 gallon per minute pump. And we had that motor redlined because it was a, a smaller horsepower motor, right? So that truck was working its, its rear end off, right. Yeah. To, to do what we were trying to do. So if we had a bigger horsepower motor, that would, yeah, it's still going to sound loud, but it's not going to be stroking out as bad. Right. Um, the turbo draft is loud. It, the truck is loud and it's going to be throttled up high because that's how it works. It has to be loud. Yeah. That's a, 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 I took that one down for the note as a spec in the larger horsepower in the motor, because I think a lot of times people think a larger horsepower motor, they think of a tanker or a ladder truck, something that's got weight to it. And, you know, I know just in some of the conversations that I've had, in doing this, people are like, well, then the guys are going to drive it. You know, they, they associate yeah, the larger exactly. horsepower with a, like it's a muscle car. And, you know, next thing you know, these guys are going to be doing, you know, 60 second sprints with the apparatus. And that's not what we're really talking about here. Well, the other thing, and, and, you know, one of the uh, arguments that I made when I was on the apparatus committee in Charlottesville, when we were specking an engine, um, we were able to convince the administration to go with a larger horsepower motor with specifically for pump capacity but more importantly um more horsepower you have that's more braking horsepower you have when your jake brake kicks in you're going to mm. stop faster so so from a safety aspect that's how i pitch it right your truck is going to stop faster because you have more braking horsepower with that jake brake that's awesome so now we hit on the turbo draft. I think that's that's pretty. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we'll probably have to do a video about it later. But no, um, regular drafting operations. Yeah. Um, what are what are some of your common mistakes that you see people making? A hundred percent. It's they forget the basic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And 
um, there's two causes of drafting failure, hands down. It's, it's air leaks and operator error. And usually that operator error is an air leak that the operator didn't catch. Um, and what, what we say every time when we're teaching our drafting classes, we really hammer home to folks like, hey, listen, you have to make sure that you check for a gasket and you have to make sure you tighten the connection. You have to tighten the connection. And people, oh, yeah, I know I pumped before, blah, 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 blah. I know you have to tighten the connection. And we see wimpy, wimpy, wimpy hits. And I tell people, you have to beat the hell out of that connection. Otherwise, it's not going to be airtight. And maybe this is a problem from an instructional standpoint, but I think a lot of times people are taught to draft. It's really a process of, hey, I'm teaching you the, the mechanics of drafting to pull a primer and we're going to flow a hand line. Okay, you drafted. Congratulations. Let's move on to the next scenario. Usually a weak connection, it'll it, 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 it can um, – a looser connection will be able to satisfy a low flow requirement, but any leaks that you have will really be present and really show themselves as you increase your flow rate because we're drawing more of a vacuum. The more of a vacuum we draw, any leaks, that is going to pull any air outside the connection in and we're going to have problems. So the biggest problem that we see with drafting is failure to actually um, tighten the connections. Um, and one one trick that we have kind of come across and a, a friend of ours, uh, Keith Thomas from Columbus, Ohio, um, he, he is the one that turned me on to this. If you look in, in that whole area, Pennsylvania, Columbus area, most of their engine companies carry bowling pins as a mallet. They're cheap yeah. and easy to come by, but they're really dense and easy to hold on to. So a lot of times fire departments will carry those you know, rinky dink mallets that they get at the hardware store and, you know, you're hitting it, but it just has nothing behind it. You're, you'd probably be better off using a sledgehammer or, yeah. or a flathead axe to make the connection than that mallet. Um, but that bowling pin uh, has the weight. It's it, it just sits in your hand real well. And you can really, really tighten some connections with that bowling pin. Um, you know, usually what we what we do to prove that we'll take the biggest, biggest guy. And he'll make a connection with that rinky dink uh, mallet. And then somebody will come uh, come behind him with the bowling pin and you'll see the connection turn a little bit tighter. So it really does work. And um, the one last thing I'll say about the connection and the, the gasket is I've actually had students tell me uh, before that their fire department has the mindset and tells them, well, if you need to take a mallet to a, a connection, then you need to go hit the gym. I don't pay. I don't play that macho ego bullshit game. Right. Mm -hmm. In the rural environment, when I'm trying to make a, a connection with hard sleeve, I'm probably doing it by myself. I don't have time to just use my ego and say, yep, it's tight enough. I want to take a mallet and I actually want to make sure it's tight. And uh, it's really important to remember that your gaskets with regards to your hard sleeves, your gaskets are replaceable parts. They're not intended to last the life of your hard sleeve. They're intended to be uh, replaced over time as they dry rot or as they get beat up. So an important part of your maintenance program is when you're breaking stuff apart, look at your gaskets. If it looks torn, okay, I got to get a new one. Done. That easy. Yeah, I, 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 I you know, said so the, the whole, you know, a loose connection uh, will satisfy the, the, the low flow kind of thing. Like, because that's typically what we do. We, we, we pull draft and we flow an inch and three quarter hand line at 160 to 180 yeah, hours. Whatever, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's like barely a drop in the bucket, no pun intended here of, of what that can potentially uh, pull in. What, 
when it comes to the aspects of, you know, just in, like, I always see this, uh, there's like a thousand gallon per minute pumper out there. That's, you know, just every community has got one and it's going to end up at a draft site in a major operation. And everyone's going to go, oh no, we have this pumper here. That's only rated for a thousand gallons per minute. But with that being said, like, do you have any like tips, tricks, and hacks on how to make that pumper pump more than what its pump capacity is if it's if it's at draft? Yeah, so there's there's it's important to remember when we're talking about uh, pumpers, uh, class A pumpers, what we're using for municipal stuff. There's there's three variables that affect the pump's rated ca- capacity. The first is the uh, size of the impeller, right? and the size of the area coming into the the intake manifold. The second is the number of discharges on that rig. And the third and most often overlooked is the horsepower of the motor. So those three combinations come together to make that pump's rated capacity. So from the factory, I really don't have any ability. And it's important to remember that when we're talking about the size of the impeller, most of your pump manufacturers, they basically make for class A pumpers, they make two size casings and impellers. That's 750 to 1250 pumps. That's one size. So if I get a thousand GPM pump, it's not like they're pulling a thousand GPM impeller. They're pulling Mm. that casing that fits 750, 1000 or 1250 off the shelf, put it in your truck. The next size is 1500 to 2250. So um, it's really important when I know that, okay, I got a thousand GPM pump right? That's rated under certain conditions, 20 foot of hard sleeve with no more than 10 foot of lift, which, okay, that's great. But most of the time in the rural environment, we're not operating under pump testing conditions. We may have 30 or 40 foot of hard sleeve mm-hmm. and maybe 12 foot of lift or, or you know, right. 15 foot of lift. So what I tell people um, when I'm setting up a, a pumper at a draft site, regardless of pump size, I will always advocate that people set up a what we call a twin or a triple tube drafting configuration. So really the go-to uh, tactic should be a twin tube draft, uh, meaning that we're putting two intakes into the water, either two sides, a front and a side, a front and a rear, or excuse me, a, a rear and a side, whatever it ends up being, depending on your positioning uh, requirements, right? So um, what that does is, yes, a thousand GPM pump should be able to do that with one intake. However, when I add two intakes, just like when we were talking about the hydrant, that reduces the amount of workload that the pumper has to do. And it can also increase your uh, available discharge output, depending on the discharge arrangements and motor configurations and this, that, and the other. Um, The other big thing, the other big reason why I tell people to always twin two uh, a, a fill site or, or as you know, a static source like that is especially when, when we're dealing with, you know, nasty water that we tend to deal with in the rural environment. When I have two lines going into the water, I will back up when I have one line going into the water and I'm trying to flow a thousand gallons a minute, right? That's a six inch hole. That water has to move very quickly mm-hmm. to meet that flow demand. But when I split it and I have two, now half of it's going through here half of it's going through here so now the water the velocity of the water moving through isn't as fast it it slows down what that does is if i just had one you have more of a chance of clogging your strainer because that water is moving so quickly around 
it's going to clog your strainer more likely than if you split the flow between two, right? Because now the water moving in this one's a little bit slower. It's slower on this side. I'm still getting the total flow that I wanted, but it's not causing that those strainers to, to clog. Um, and, and a lot of times we do that. Uh, one of the, one of the scenarios we do at work in our advanced pump school is exactly that, right? We flow crazy amount of water with one sleeve, the strainer clogs up like that. We put two or three in there and we're able to flow, exceed the pump rated capacity, even if mm -hmm. one of those strainers clogs, right? We're still rocking. It's just yeah. a level for, for my, uh, my technical rescue friends. It's a level of redundancy. Right. And that's one thing that we tend to uh, uh, not build into our water supply system. Right. We don't build a lot of redundancy. That's a level of redundancy. And you don't need a cape to do it. So that's the kind yeah, of. Yeah. 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 Right. Tech rescue guys. Right. Um, so and the last thing I'll say about that thousand gallon per minute uh, flow from a static source uh, filling tankers. Mm -hmm. What I tell people realistically in my mind if i'm operating as a water supply officer on a rural uh call and i'm trying to set up a large volume fill site to me a class a pumper one pumper at a fill site is good for at best a thousand gallons a minute you might be saying well, well that's kind of bull right i have a 2000 gpm pumper if i put that at the fill site i should be able to flow 2000 gallons a minute but it's important to remember that, all right, so if I have 500 foot of four or five inch down, down the driveway and a manifold mm -hmm. up top, and I'm trying to fill two tankers at once, yes, I have a 2,000 gallon per minute capable pumper. Now you're trying to flow 2,000 gallons a minute through the plumbing on your pumper, through one discharge, through one five inch, through a manifold, through two. It's just your pump pressures aren't going to be realistically uh, achievable, and your truck's going to be working a lot harder than it needs to. So in my mind, Right. If I need a two or three thousand gallon per minute fill site, that's three pumpers. Right. Three pumpers at my site, each of them working and worrying about a thousand gallons a minute apiece. And we actually did this scenario in Mechanicsville, Maryland, uh, about a month or two ago, um, where we were able to do exactly that. We set up a three thousand gallon capable fill site. And at one point we had three tankers getting filled right up at the same time and leaving at the same time. And it worked out really well. Uh, but we had two of them uh, doing a, uh, oh, excuse me, one of them was doing a twin tube draft, the other was doing a triple tube draft, and then the other was doing an advanced turbo draft tactic uh, to fill the other thousand gallon per minute. So, and because that's always been a like watching tanker operations as a kid. And uh, uh, by the way, thank you so much for you know bucking the trend and calling them tankers tenders we can get it oh yeah no, no, no. Uh, or something like that so um but you know there there was uh the times where i would be at a at a fire and i would see you know depending you know, 16 years old right like junior firemen like going with the they had an old dodge uh you know a power wagon with a front mount, mount pump on it yeah. still in service uh actually in, in youngsville but like some guys would say like two lines to the tanker and fill the tanker first tanker up disconnect go to the next one others would try to split split the water and you know th these are some of the basics that like even back then like we didn't have down and now i see it sometimes even still and i'm like no, no no like that there's two ports in the back of that tanker like use both of them at the same time you're not this isn't helping anybody we're not getting the water any faster or any you know um is, is that still ring true absolutely right we, we preach one tanker at a time always one at a time one at a time one at a time so for for um 
you know, I don't really get into the using medium diameter hose versus LDH to fill tankers. It really depends on what the fill port on the tanker is designed to. If it has a four or five inch fill, that's great. Um, we, we actually, when we were in Stafford County this year, uh, Stafford County, Virginia, we actually did some time trials versus, uh, doing a single four inch to a tanker versus two, three inches to fill a tanker. And believe it or not, the two, three inches had a better fill time because the make and break people didn't have to fight trying to break that four inch and all that weight was actually Mm -hmm. faster break two, three inches than it was a single four. So I don't really I don't get wrapped around the axle of people like to use a, four, a single four or two threes or two and a halfs. I don't care. But if you're using medium diameter hose, it's got to be two. You got to, it's got to be two because you're splitting that flow. The idea is that we're filling that tanker at a thousand gallons a minute. So if you just do some simple friction loss, right? A thousand gallons a minute through a single two and a half, right? That would be 200 PSI of loss just in that, uh, excuse me, it'd be a hundred PSI of loss just in that 50 foot section of hose. Right. So that's, that's a lot. Right. Whereas if I split it and do five and five, now it's only 25 pounds in that 50 foot section feeding that tanker. So it's much more realistic and manageable. Yeah. Um, for, for the, the new newly minted chauffeur pump operator, what are some, you know, what, what are some tips that you, you think that they can start to dive into to make them more efficient at their job? They've taken their pump class. They've they've gotten the blessing. They, you know, we went and made sure they could pull draft and flow a hand line. But now, like, let's get down to the brass tacks of of, of how to do this. Um, like, what what what's some of the things that they can start looking into? Um, get outside and pump the truck daily. Every shift, you should be pumping every day. Um, that that would be one thing that always chapped me when when I was on shift. Uh, a lot of times, people would get the blessing. Yep, you're a pump operator, and they thought that was an invitation to sit in the recliner, right? No, that right. The, you, your work now is just beginning. So get outside, go pump the truck, mm-hmm. um, put yourself in situations that you think, ah, you know what, this will never happen, right? I'll never have to do this, right? That's how you make yourself better. Um, and then the, the biggest thing, right, and, and this is really why I'm so passionate about moving bigger volumes of water. A lot of people look at our stuff and say, we'll never do that. We'll never have to do that, right? And that stuff is such bull. And I, I tell them, you're probably right. In a lot of our careers, we may not go to a fire where I'm trying to flow, you know, 5,000 gallons a minute on, on a commercial fire, right? However, in, in our training environment, the reason we harp and flow such big water is because if you can do that crazy stuff, the one or two or three or four line fire that you will go to for the majority of your career, it'll be easy and you'll Mm -hmm. be able to be pulling levers and doing everything without even thinking, right. It'll just become second nature because you've troubleshot crazier stuff, things that are way harder. Right. Right. Yeah. 100%. It's just that you, when you said that too, about pumping the rig, uh, we caught something a couple of weeks ago at work, we had this uh, discharge that was leaking and I had a, this little Petri dish experiment, but like it ended up leaking onto the FRC module control and shorting that out because it, this had been going on for months and, you know, we couldn't get the part because of the, the COVID and the pandemic and everything yep. else. Um, and, fi- you know, so like the one morning, you know, my, my guy comes in and he's like, Hey, Lieutenant, the, uh, the, the truck goes into pump gear, but it won't, it won't idle up. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? 
And then, so I go out there and I'm like, well, hold on, let me bring my white shirt power because that'll, you know, fix everything. <laughs> and it didn't work. Like I tried to rub it on the truck. And but no, in all seriousness, this this simple check of just going out and putting the rig and pump gear and idling it up found this module that had got shorted out because of something that took so long. And, and for us, this was simply a, you know, a supply chain issue from the pandemic yep. that we had this continue going on. And over time, it finally fried out the board and we got a new one in at, you know, FRC, like great company. Like they, they had it to us in no time flat um, and helped our guy troubleshoot it and get it back on the rig and get it in service. But these are all simple things that were found out. I, like, I could not imagine what would have happened if, you know, like my, my guys are pretty good. I don't know how to babysit them, but like what happens if somebody else didn't do this? And then like the time to check the rig was up to fire, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're lucky we have a, a, a Quint right behind us. So like there's a automatic, you know, as you said, the redundancy for the technical rescue people. So like there is a redundancy built into what we're doing, but um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy. Um, what, uh, all right. We went over to classes before that you have coming up. Um, can you talk a little bit about teaching for this Tennessee fire Academy with this, the classes that you're doing? Yeah. Cause I think that's just an interesting, uh, construct there. Like there's, you know, yes. We... So, um, in, in Tennessee, right. Uh, we have the state fire Academy. A lot of things are run through the state. Um, as far as basic, firefighter training. We actually have a brick and mortar, uh, fire Academy, uh, in the center of the state in bell buckle, Tennessee, middle of nowhere. Uh, but we offer, uh, all kinds of recruit training and stuff like that. But my responsibility is overseeing, uh, your basic aerial classes, your basic pump classes. Um, and, um, I've also, we've introduced classes that are a little bit more advanced following these water thief tenants and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So, uh, where we will go uh, actually to fire departments across the state and deliver our programs there. Um, so it's, it's really cool. I get to travel the state teaching all kinds of pump stuff and aerial stuff and flowing all kinds of water throughout the state. But probably the thing that, um, I'm definitely most proud of is we've developed what's uh, what we call our advanced pump operator school. And what it is, is it's a, it's a week long uh, pump operator school at our campus in bell buckle where you, uh, students will learn all of these advanced drafting techniques that we teach in our classes, all of these advanced hydrant techniques that we teach in these classes mm -hmm. and uh, our water supply for aerial apparatus techniques that we teach uh, over that five day course. Um, and the coolest thing about it is that it is not just reserved for Tennessee residents. Anybody from across the nation can actually come and take our classes. So if that's something that that folks are interested in, um, you know, we, we can actually we can absolutely uh, get you enrolled in our advanced pump class. When is that advanced pump class? So we uh, in 2022, we offer two this year. Uh, there's one in June and there's one in November. And that'll be in Bell Buckle. Yes, it'll be in okay. Bell Buckle. Cool beans. That's awesome. We'll have to see if we can uh, make the road trip out. Yeah, that'll absolutely. A lot of fun. So, um, all right. So we've been going for about 40, 40 something minutes now. Uh, what? Where can people find Andy? So um, you can find us on Facebook, The Water Thieves uh, LLC on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, at the water thieves 
And then we have a website, uh, thewaterthieves.com. Uh, and make it even easier. If you have questions, there's something you like, you didn't like, you, you want to talk about, uh, you can email me at thewaterthieves at gmail.com. Awesome. And you at, you still have the two trailers, right? The two, two resources for traveling the country. Yeah, so we have so. one with me in Tennessee, and then the other one is uh, still being outfitted. We're finishing that up, but it's in Virginia. Yeah. So, well, Andy, thank you for coming on the gospel, man. This has been a lot of information. I got two pages of notes here. So, I mean, that's always a fun time. One I appreciate it, Rob. Um, and yeah, like I said, thank you for coming. This is a little bit of a last minute thing. COVID is uh, still trying to mess with us and and how we want to conduct business uh, here on the fairground. But um, for all of us here at National Fair Radio and the gospel, thanks for coming on. Hang out for a minute after this is uh, all done. And instead of with, we'll chat real quick and just follow up on a couple of things. But everybody, thank you for joining us for this Sunday's edition of the gospel with Andy Sacadato. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Trying not to curse on the gospel. All right. We'll see you guys <laughs> later. Everybody be safe out there. Look at I run into burning buildings for a living. You know, it does affect us. PTSD exists. But where do we vet all that out of? It's wind therapy. All right. Awesome work, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank was, you. I hope I hope it wasn't too much.